0: conference of champions rolls on no truck stops here we
1: are the pac-12 we are the best of the best welcome to no truck stops a pac-12 podcast i'm carlos joining me is greg what's up and a special guest, host of the UCLA B Team podcast, my favorite UCLA podcast, my A Team podcast. Uh, it's Michael Hanna.
2: Hanna, say hi. Thank you so much for that. I mean, such kind. Of Carlos, you preempted my comment where I was going to say I've already had too much Bill Walton just to try to get a rise out of you. I mean, I, oh my god, you, you overwhelm me with kindness, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Much. <laughs> well, hold on a second. We can't I didn't just know gloss
1: over this blasphemy.
2: <laughs> I didn't know you were anti-Bill Walton. I can only take so. I, I can only take Walton in small doses. Like, like the five minutes on college game day, like where you have like the fans riled up and it's like made for weirdness. That's fine. But in the middle of a game where I'm trying to like learn something about how the game is actually being played and like the tactics that are like, I'm not looking for super nerd. But at the same time, throw me a little bit. But Walton is just—he's in an alternate universe, and there's there's only so much acid I can take. The more Walton I get, the better it
0: gets for me. Especially when like occasionally he throws in insight and i'm like damn that was really smart. wow he said it, something it, so yeah. much better yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's
2: just you're you're holding out for those brief nuggets of clarity in between all of the just i, I don't know space weird spacey weirdness of it all which it's his shtick to be good for him it works it's entertaining but if it's a game that I don't care about, if it's Arizona USC, for example, and I'm just waiting for the earth to swallow them all whole, that's fine. But if it's my team, I actually want to know what's going on with my team. That's the difference, I guess.
1: I love, I love when he calls Utah games so much. <laughs> it's great. I cannot get enough of him. And yeah, you're kind of sacrificing some of the insight, but it's just so like... Listen to Don McLean and like some of the other play-by-play guys who call like, Sean Farnham the other night. Like I was just like, ah, this is so boring. Look, the Pac-12, the SEC has Paul Feinbaum and we get Bill Walton. I feel like we have to appreciate that because they've got ours their own propaganda. cooler, yeah, yeah, way cooler, way more based. Anyway, uh, Michael is here to talk about UCLA basketball, and we're going to do a little fighting about UCLA football. I'm really excited because he and I have a lot of fights in our uh, group chats in various and sundry uh, social media spaces. Actually, just a group chat, but still. uh, So I thought, let's just just get right into it. Why waste any more time? Let's start with basketball. Uh, Hannah, we both follow this team very closely. Um, I found this season maddening as a UCLA fan. There's Certainly been a ton of highs and lows right now where we sit. UCLA is in third place in the Pac-12, 22-6 and six on the season, 17th in the AP poll. Only two games left, so this is kind of the season that we're getting from UCLA. Are you disappointed with this season? Is this what you expected? Like, what's your feeling on how the season has gone?
2: It's been a weird season, so I feel like you have to grade it on a curve in a sense. Just because of the, the, you have the COVID break, you have UCLA playing like, um injuring musical chairs with their wing players at this point like every game you have a different guy who's out for a different reason um you have a less than 100 percent jaime haquez who I, I mean obviously the performance against washington was very encouraging but before that he was not jaime haquez as we know him um tiger campbell has made a leap which has been nice um jaylen clark obviously is um the ucla um fan god at this point um miles johnson rounding into form in a way that he really wasn't playing in the non-conference season even early in the conference season but this season has been just so herky-jerky in in so many weird ways for this team that i almost grade them on a curve in a sense but the one thing that has consistently disappointed me about ucla this season has been their inability to shoot the ball on the road It has been the strangest freaking thing now they obviously did well against oregon state but that it's like they were playing modern day basically. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't. That's I, right. I don't <laughs> that that one doesn't impress me that much. And no disrespect, to Oregon State, but I mean, they're what more modern day. have uh, more
1: more disrespect to Modern Day for right? being
2: <laughs> for being completely honest. But yeah, that's, um, a, that's
1: a high school, Greg. For and for the people who don't know, and uh, the other Pac-12 team fans, uh, Modern Day is a high school in LA. I,
0: modern Day is. I, I th- is thought good enough at football that I know who. They I are. was going
2: to say I thought they're just ubiquitous <laughs> at this point. I thought all the I Pac-12 don't know. fans know them. I don't know. I
0: feel like most national fans know them right. just because they churn out five stars like nobody
2: else. Yeah, and they <laughs> funnel them to USC where they squander their limitless potential, unfortunately. But anyway, that's neither here it's nor there. Tradition, like an unlike any. Exactly, other. it's like Jim Nance in April. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, and then in the second half against Washington, obviously they came on as a uh, as a kind of functional offensive unit. But it has been it has been the weirdest thing that they cannot score against length at all during the conference season. Because if you, the games against Oregon against USC, uh, the road game against USC, the road game against Arizona state, and even the home game in the second half against Arizona state, the road game in Tucson, like, They just have not been able to hit shots against teams that defend them out on the perimeter with any athleticism or length whatsoever. And you think back to the teams that they played against last year in the tournament when they made their run, I almost feel like there's a bit of a common thread in terms of they didn't really get that like freakish defensive team and they really wouldn't have gotten it until they got to Baylor. Because if you think back to, I mean, I guess Michigan State, which ran them closer than anybody else almost, I guess, um, was the closest who would have come to it before the Final Four because um BYU didn't what wasn't going to compete athletically in that way even though they were a good shooting team Abilene Christian wasn't going to uh, compete on that plane um Alabama played and it didn't re- hadn't really built up the athletes they got by more on style of play and then Michigan which th- had severe limitations despite being a one seed so I mean it's something that UCLA didn't really have found out about them during the tournament last year, but during the conference season, we saw, and it's carried over more to this season than I thought that it, and it comes down to really, to me, a lack of an individual explosive isolation player who can kind of create their own shot. UCLA doesn't really have that this season. And so it's limited what they can do on the offensive end. They have to make up for it on the defensive end. Next season, they will have that, but they won't have the same grit and tenacity. I think they'll have higher higher upside la- next season, but this season has a lower floor, a higher floor. Does that translate to making another Final Four run? We'll see. That, that was very long winded. I apologize, but we'll see what happens. the Rest of the season, it's a little bit disappointing, but you, I, I I am a little bit more charitable. I do grade them on a curve just because how weird this has all been.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think uh, you know I've just gone back and forth with what to expect of this team personally as a UCLA fan and watching them. It's been like. I don't know, it's really hard to it's really hard to critique this team during the regular season knowing what they looked like the past really the past two seasons before this uh where they had a horrific start to their season or the middle the middle part of the season was horrendous and then they finished both seasons in 2020 and 2021 very very strong. So it's like hard to critique and be upset with this knowing that we kind of expected UCLA maybe to be a perennial, consistent top five team contender for a one seed, et cetera, et cetera. So it it has been weird, especially with all the injuries. Mick Cronin, his teams apparently are just always banged up, which is uh, very bizarre to me. I did, it did raise one little <laughs> – uh, one, one small debate point. I feel like I have this argument with UCLA fans. I think this discourse is out there, and you've kind of brought it up. Uh, for me personally, I think that UCLA's defense is – Primarily and always the the reason that UCLA loses. I we hear a lot of the. I think I think the it's valid that UCLA does not shoot well, and when they don't shoot well, they don't win games. And I just think it's so that's just such a high variance thing to rely on that every single one of UCLA's losses I can pinpoint to them being either mediocre or horrendous defensively. I don't know. What's your reaction? Where, where do you? So it sounds like you sit on the fence that like actually it's their shooting that's a problem. I, I'm I don't know what what's your what's your what what's your take on that do you feel like their defense is uh, uh much of a problem their losses or you think it's, it's fine
2: no I, I don't think it's great in the games that they lose uh, no doubt about that uh, they can definitely step it up and we've seen them play just absolute in the shirt defense in quite a few games of poly this season um, and, and even again uh, I mean most notably against Arizona you had that Cal game and that Stanford game where they held them to 43 but you look at the games that they've Yeah. If you look at the games that they've lost um, recently, um, the Arizona uh, discounting the Arizona game. So after the Arizona game, those three losses at ASU, at USC and at Oregon in regulation, each of those teams was held to under 70 points. And UCLA's shooting percentages in each of those games was in the 30 to 35 percent range and from three under 25 percent in each of those games. So I think it's a bit of column A and column B but I do think it's a little bit more on the offensive end because if you're to me, like if you're keeping teams, no matter whether you're playing top of the league, top of the nation defense, or just, you know, top 25 level defense, if you're holding a team under 70 points, in my mind, that's good enough to win most college basketball games. And you have to be able to take advantage of that. If you want to be one of the elite teams in the country, it, winning it, if you're holding a team to 67, it, to me, it doesn't seem beyond the pale with the talent and the experience that UCLA has to get to 70. So that's why I tend to think that the shooting is a huge factor. But if you know that your shooting isn't traveling, then you, I, I agree with you, Carlos, you have to double down on the defense. It has to be all about the defense if you cannot rely on the shooting. So it, it, the mentality is where they'd want to rewire it. But Greg, what's up?
0: I was just going to say, I think the lack of athleticism for UCLA matters more uh, defensively than it does offensively. Because um, I do think, at the very least, Haquez and uh, Juzang are good enough to get their own shots against most players. Whereas UCLA just does not have enough guys defensively who are going to lock up who they're guarding. Like, Hawkes is a really good defender. But even he's not, like, a super athlete. And so when UCLA does play those teams with elite athleticism, I do think uh, it hurts them more defensively than offensively because I think they're skilled enough offensively to make up for it. I'm more worried about their defense in the tournament. Although I don't think they're going to have, like... I think it'll be a different kind of bad defense than we've seen in some of their losses this year because I think... Like most of the losses they've had to teams that aren't Arizona have been because they were just sleepwalking, weren't really trying on defense. When they're engaged on defense, they're a very good team, but I think they'll struggle to defend the more athletic players in the tournament.
2: I, I'm just worried that they get a draw with a team like a, like a Baylor or a Kentucky or something like that, mm-hmm. like an ideal draw on the tournament. Would be, would be like would be like I guess it would be the Big Ten patty cake where you get like a, a Purdue or a Wisconsin or something like that. Which Although
0: team... Jaden Ivy is not uh, he and those Bigs, he <laughs> is a
2: he. Purdue has more isolated. They don't have waves of Matherin and Bello mm-hmm. and uh, Coloco coming at you the way that Arizona does. Um, they don't, ha- they don't even have the length of like a Nang and Richardson or anything like that. They do. Ha- they have very good players, but I think UCLA is more wired for that kind of a matchup than they are for, and I'm not saying it's impossible for UCLA to win those games because UC- they mm-hmm. were within a couple of buckets of Oregon. Um, it, was- it took an awful, awful performance against USC to lose that game. Now, USC was missing Isaiah Mobley, so I mean, caveat on each side. Um, against Arizona, in the second half of that game in Tucson, they were very much in that game even though they were struggling. So it's not like they're getting run off the floor. Even in any game they've lost, if, if I'm looking, I, I, I think the only game they've been run off the floor of this season was that Gonzaga game where they all had the flu anyway. But uh, Gonzaga was going to win that game regardless. They were up for that mm-hmm. game in a way UCLA wasn't. But uh, the, the team being sick didn't help. But in Pac-12 play, the games that they've had, they haven't been run off the floor necessarily. They haven't shot well, but they found a way to grid out close results and stay in games they really shouldn't be staying in. But they have they just haven't really styles make fights. And these have been bad stylistic matchups for UCLA. And I, yeah, I hope they don't get like a, like, like I was saying, like a Kentucky, a Baylor, um, that type of a team that is just going to be, comp- that's just going to make the floor small for them. And th- they've struggled against it. Now. I just don't see how in the tournament it would get that much better. So we'll see.
0: All right. So speaking of the tournament and moving on, uh, Who do you think is going to be UCLA's best player in the tournament?
2: It should be. I almost feel like, well, it's, I think it's going to be Jalen Clark, but in a weird way, I almost think the guy who needs to make a leap between now and two weeks from now, I, I know it's a bit of a compressed timetable is Peyton Watson, because he is that great equalizer athletically. Um, Your best lineup on the floor, if Jalen Clark is playing well, and you're actually and Watson is not a complete liability on the offensive end, you can get away with putting you have Tiger out there, but then otherwise, if you go with if you go with a five minute stretch of um, of Clark, Watson, and Hakez with Miles Johnson in the middle, that's a really good defensive lineup that can neutralize a lot of opponents. Now, obviously, you're not going to get the offense out of them that you're going to get out of having Juzang on the floor, for example, or David Singleton on the floor. And obviously, there's going to be a time and place for all these players. But Peyton Watson, he is that cream-of-the-crop athlete that UCLA has struggled against this season. And so having him out on the floor, neutralizing a lot of that. We saw in the Arizona game at Pauly the impact that he made even without scoring, just his athleticism and what it did in – in terms of just his ability to take uh, to take um, offensive players who are trying to take him off the ball, and to be a rim protector as well, just kind of coming out of nowhere, we remember that huge block that he had. So, um, Jalen Clark is playing like UCLA's best player right now. He's probably going to continue to be because uh, um, health permitting, of course, because he's just he's playing at a level right now that's just awesome. But it has to. I think Peyton Watson is going to be the X factor for UCLA
0: yeah i really like that answer uh i am skeptical that he will get to the point offensively where he can really be a huge positive contributor but uh it surprised I, me
2: that he hasn't been, if he does yeah. it he's going to be awesome yep he need. i'm surprised he can't get into can't get to the rim more effectively than he has been. i i know he's raw but with that with his first step and his quickness and his explosiveness. There shouldn't be many players in the Pac 12 who can stay with him. And it, it's just going to, I feel like it's just going to take the light turning on to kind of realize that.
0: I think he needs a little more time. I yep. hope. I hope he comes back next year and doesn't go to the NBA because he could go to the NBA. He'll be a first round pick and he'll go to the G League. Yep. But uh, I, I, hope, I hope he comes back because I think he'll benefit a lot from
2: it. Agreed. How about for you guys, though? I mean, because you both watched UCLA this season quite a bit. Like, who stands out for you as kind of the guy who has to emerge in March?
1: So uh I mean uh just quickly on Peyton Watson I mean I I I think that's an interesting take mostly cuz I mean I I think he certainly raises UCLA ceiling a lot um the issue is he kind of lowers their floor with the way that he plays mm-hmm. offensively and like you said <laughs> yep. uh, Hannah he's two weeks it's a big it's a big turnaround and uh, when you watch him he's a freak uh like I people were talking about him as a freaking I'm not like a guy who's going to follow recruiting and watch high school tape or whatever like that but when I saw him out there and kind of over the season like his margin for error is so massive just cuz he's so goddamn athletic it's like defensively what he he is a controversial statement I'm just going to say it he is when he's out there UCLA's best defensive player the problem is is that he just kind of gives it all back on the other end um with with turnovers and being raw in that way so I think that was an interesting pick if he gets it going in in march and it turns into a good player i that if he change, does
0: that UCLA's win in the national it championship it really
1: it really is that's really <laughs> the the equation there but that's why I,
2: that's why i'm saying he's the x factor he does uh, yeah. he's the one guy who on a high floor team raises that ceiling everybody yeah, I else totally agree. everybody else is a good functional technical solid fundamental basketball player he is the one freak UCLA has and it, it is a short turnaround, definitely, Carlos, and uh, Greg, mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. But just think of Miles Johnson, how he was kind of getting derided for being lethargic yeah. and stone hands mm-hmm. just a month ago, and all of a sudden the light turned on. It he's just my, so he's sometimes. my pick.
1: He's my pick for the who I think could be the best player in the tournament. I don't think he's going to put, put up 15, 20 points in a game. But he, he, right now, the way that he's playing and what he looks like on the floor, he looks like UCLA's most important player. Like... Just, uh, if, if you're watching the game when you see him go on the court and when he comes off completely different tenor to the game, every time he steps on the floor. If you look at the on, on court, off court stats, uh, he, he kicks ass. Miles Johnson is like, he does so much for UCLA defensively and and actually does a surprisingly good amount offensively where they're just a completely different team when he's out on the floor. Um, I am of the opinion that, uh, You know, when he's on the floor defensively, things just get easier for UCLA. Like, like the margin for error is massive. Like, it doesn't matter if a guy is going to beat Jalen Clark. Rarely does Jalen Clark get beat off the dribble, but he can sometimes. Jules Bernard, Tiger Campbell. Like, if those dudes get beat off the dribble, Miles Johnson is able to step out like five, ten feet off outside the basket and affect a shot with his length, um, and is agile enough and quick enough, and and now is aware enough now that he knows how to play in UCLA system. To be able to get back if he needs to, um, he's he, he's been incredible, and I and I totally get the Jalen Clark argument, um, but it, it just Jalen. I'll say this: uh, Jalen Clark without Miles Johnson on the floor is very good, but UCLA still kind of struggles defensively in a lot of ways. But Miles Johnson in without Jalen Clark on the floor, like it's it does not feel it does not feel like a huge um drop off but greg who i don't know who's your best player in the who do you well, think is going to be the best player i, I the like for the UCLA? miles
0: johnson pick too because uh he he can he can make up for some of that lack of athleticism defensively when guys get beat by other guys who are more athletic than them he can be there waiting and that's a huge help but i'm going to go a little more basic i'm going to I'm going to go back to Jaime Hacquez because if he can be what he was, what we know he can be, he is a great, great college basketball player. Defensively, he's awesome, and offensively, he's awesome too. He can shoot, he can score out of the post, and he can pass, and UCLA is going to need that when they play those more athletic teams. They need Jaime Hacquez to do those things or their offense will die.
1: And so I'm I'm going to go with him. It's a good pick. Certainly, their craftiest player. Um, speaking of Miles Johnson, Hannah, uh, and uh, Jalen Clark, and all that, I think a lot of UCLA discourse is out there on Mick Cronin's rotations, namely the usage of Miles Johnson and Jalen Clark, and misusing Cody Riley. All of that. Um, I obviously have some takes on this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. What you thought? What you've thought about um, the personnel usage this season? And is it? And so, what you think of the personnel personnel usage? But then also is this any different than what we saw last season where Mick was using Johnny Juzang pretty questionably in the regular season, but it ended up paying off?
2: I do think it's a little bit different just because there is a, unlike last season when you could see Mick's kind of long-term thinking in terms of we are a team that's in a certain place right now. We kind of need to let this guy get his reps and kind of find his feet. You UCLA, does, I, I don't feel like, maybe I'm coming at it from the biased perspective of a fan who had certain expectations for the season, but I don't think they have that same luxury in terms of being able to use. I I mean, the regular season is basically over, but they did essentially use it as kind of in a ground for experimentation as far as rotations. And we've, like you said, Carlos, very been very, very frustrated by it because there have been clear combinations that work and clear players who are in form and clear players who are not. And chief among those is uh, miles versus uh, miles johnson versus cody riley but i i think i i'm just trying to think of it, it must be cody riley the guy who mick has played way too much and we're trying to figure out hey what the hell is going on here but maybe he's, there's some magic pixie dust in there where all of a sudden when the march madness lights turn on he's going to shine brightest cody riley the player who played in the tournament last year is an asset He was doing everything we like about Cody Riley well and improving, like demonstrably, on all the things that we don't think Cody Riley does well. He actually was an effective rebounder and not Miles Johnson, or I I don't know. We talked about Utah before, Greg, like a Rudy Gobert kind of a presence in the paint. Mm -hmm. He never will be, but he had a couple of games where he had blocks and was fighting well for rebounds and kind of patrolling the paint in a way that he just hasn't been this season and wasn't last regular season but all the time tu- in the tournament all of a sudden it was there if we get bizarre if we get that Cody <laughs> Riley during the tournament the minute split is justifiable if we don't get that Cody Riley then literally Mick should have a shock collar on and every minute that Cody Riley gets, <laughs> getting subconcussive shocks so- <laughs> I, I really like that idea so um <laughs> The Cody Riley who was in the tournament last year is a real assay. And I hope that's the guy who shows up because that guy, you see why they have it, it, That is the best of Cody Riley, the craftiness in the mid range and kind of a little bit of an old man game in the post uh, plus more explosiveness than you normally see out of him. Like actual above the rim dunks and rebounds and stuff like that stuff. He does hasn't done this year in the regular season for the most part, he had one moment one flash against Washington or really at all in the regular season last year. So if that Cody Riley shows up, that's fine. But, and I think that's the answer to Carlos's question as far as like the weird rotation stuff. But I don't love that they're doing that in a season where seeding does seem like, now I know they made a final four run as an 11 seed last year, but coming into this season, every thought was you want to preserve the San Diego to San Francisco route to the Elite Eight and the springboard, use that springboard to the final four. It's just not on the table right now. Like they're hoping for San Diego, but San Francisco is off the table. And we saw during the Howland years, the three straight final four runs. How it was always coast West Co- the westernmost um, uh, round, um, which we we'll call it uh, round of sixty-four and round of thirty-two site, and then the West Coast uh, regional site. There, there are three regional sites that they won from. They, I think, they went uh, San Diego to Oakland one year. Um, I think they went Anaheim to San Jose another year, and I, th- I. Th- I want to say Sacramento to Phoenix, the final year, like it was all within the Pacific time zone. UCLA is not going to have that luxury this time around. And we've seen why, how much that matters to this team based on how well they've played up, just the dramatic splits between how well they've played up poly versus how poorly they've played on the road or how they've played to the level of competition on the road versus actually being a superior team at home. So I feel like that matters to this team. And it's a nice advantage that I wish they'd have, but I they'd have had, but um I don't think it's going to be there so they're going to have to find a way to work around it and I think a lot of that you can chalk up to the weird rotations that I just haven't understood I'm right there with you Carlos but you mentioned that you had a specific take on it what did you want to throw out there
1: Uh yeah I mean I uh, I don't know I don't know anyone on in in the UCLA world who's like yeah uh, actually we need to play Cody Riley even more Um <laughs> no I mean it's it's been bizarre and it's it's really hard to it's it is really hard to critique this because it's like well he did this last year and UCLA got to the Final Four and that stuff that he was doing paid off in March right like playing Cody Riley big minutes over Jalen Hill actually paid off because to your point he turned on he hit another level um, just a completely different level when uh, the tournament started right like he was he was do th- doing things we had never seen before it was like this guy was like an interior force for long stretches of games. Cody Riley was. Um, so it's it's like hard to critique that because you know, having seen it and, and Mick Cronin has said this himself like last regular season was very clear that yeah you know, I felt like we were in the tournament Felt he had felt like they had their spot locked up. And so he was using the regular season as time to get guys going and ready for March. Uh, it was a scary gamble because UCLA almost actually didn't make the tournament. Um, and they needed to get in the play in game to do it. But um, you know, it, it ended up working off re- working out because Johnny Juzang was the other one where it was sort of like, why is this dude getting 30 minutes and, and 20 shots a game? This is insane. Uh, and like, why is he on the floor? Like he's unplayable. And, when when march hit it was like oh shit this is why he did it um so and and that was what he had said so i my take on this is it's really hard to to kind of critique and evaluate it because it's like well if he does it again in march it worked like he's he's gonna he's gonna keep doing it
2: he's earned the benefit of the doubt is for now is what you're saying yeah yeah i think that's right that's right
1: greg you had a question
0: yeah yeah so um we might have already answered both of these questions, but what do you think? Uh, what do you think the reason? What will be the reason that uh, UCLA makes a run, and what will be the reason that they disappoint? Like, you know, they're out. But like both outcomes could happen. What has to happen for them to happen? I worded that terribly, but I hope you understand. <laughs> oh, no, no, but
2: I completely got it. No, I mean. It really, just because this has been a little bit of a bipolar season, we've seen the best and the worst of UCLA at various times. Like, we've seen them clamp down and crush teams and rise to the level against other teams. And then we've seen them just kind of show up and be like, who is this imposter team that's wearing blue or, uh, in the Oregon game, white jerseys uh, that say UCLA across the chest? Um, so, I mean, based on what we've seen, it's, I feel like it's going to come down to uh, a few things, or three things, namely um the first thing is going to be ball movement the assist totals we've seen that ucla's assist totals lag considerably now obviously that comes it comes down to the second thing i'm going to talk about in a second they, their assist totals lag considerably in the games in which they've disappointed on the offensive end and those are games where the offense has gotten a little bit constipated and they've tried to go way too heavy iso but also that's a partial function of when they did have open shots they're just not making them as well um and then the final thing is just there has been fairly inconsistent levels of defense. There's games where, you show, where they've shown up and they've strangled teams. And you're like, how are they even going to get a bucket? And then there's other games where you've wondered why they're giving up so many open shots and why there are free runs to, uh, down the lane at like any given uh, moment. So it, it's going to come down. So it's really going to be, in my mind, it, it's a weird way of kind of combining all those the factors, but it's going to be about that team ethos really coming out. And player, I know this is such a cliche thing to say, but it's about the team really gelling into the team we know it can be and about players rising to the occasion. There are going to have to be, in like there are in any tournament run, individual moments of brilliance that just kind of take you that little bit of a cut above an opponent that would otherwise be on a relatively even playing field. So um, they're going to need (laughs) to... I hate I'm the person who hates like cliched big like oh they just got to want it more and all that kind of stuff but we've seen with this team we've seen what they can be at their best and we've seen what they can be at their worst so they it, it's a, I hate saying this I want to punch myself in the face for saying this they just kind of got to be at their best unfortunately yeah it's I a mean stupid thing to say but you know what I mean by it
1: this cliche applies more to UCLA than I think most teams they really do UCLA uh is not the longest and fastest team but they are potentially the smartest, definitely the most experienced team. And what makes them good is when they try really fucking hard. So they really, it is a cliche, um, but they, they really do have to want it more. Um, and frequently that's what that's what's gotten them wins and kept them within games they had no business being in. Real quick before we move on from basketball, unless Greg, you got something else? I was just going to say it's exactly what's happened this season. I mean,
0: you can go through each loss. I can't think of a time where I felt like they wanted it more than the team
1: that beat them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. just doesn't happen. So just before we get on to football, real quick, Hannah, give us your prediction. How do you think this UCLA season is going to end? What do you think they're going to, how far do you think they'll get in March?
2: So like we were talking about earlier about, uh, styles making fights. I think it's good. I, I, I know this is again, a can't answer, but it's going to depend on the draw. If they get, if they end up in that three, four range, they at least start out in San Diego. I do think that they get to the second weekend. And then really, it's just about going to be who they draw as their one and their two. Um, for example, if they got like, uh, if they got Auburn, I wouldn't love that. Um, if they, if they got Gonzaga weirdly, I would actually be a little bit more okay with it because I think that they would be more ready for it, and I think that Gonzaga gave him problems in September. But we've seen what this team can do in March against Gonzaga. I, I'd be weirdly okay with it. Um, I will. I would almost love a matchup against Duke, because that, that team is just wildly talented. But they are all over the place in so many ways, just beyond overrated in my mind. But regardless, um, I think they get to the second weekend. I don't think they reach the Final Four. I'm going to say that they flame out in the Sweet 16 this year, unfortunately
1: yeah would be tough it'd be dis- this is the hard part about having uh, expectations is that and when sweet 16 is a disappointment i'm yeah. so jealous <laughs> <laughs> welcome welcome to the blue bloods greg now you know what it's like all right <laughs> let's let's talk about football now and switch gears a little bit we we have a little game here because then i, yeah. Must yeah, we? I know. yeah i know i know i know and all of these questions, too, are very depressing. I don't know what else to say. I'm no longer jealous. <laughs> yeah, <I was> gonna... <laughs> um, anyway, Hannah and I love to get into arguments about UCLA football and all the pain that it causes us. Um, we have three very big picture things to talk about with UCLA, and the way we're going to do this is Greg is going to give us three prompts that Hannah and I are going to fight about, and Greg is going to decide a winner, okay? So Greg, go ahead and take us away. What's our first prompt here? Your first prompt is
0: uh, UCLA fans should expect the football team to win a Rose Bowl once every 10 years. Hannah, you're up first.
2: Win, no. Make it yes.
0: Okay. Uh, expand on that.
2: I don't think it's unreasonable for... <laughs> oh, God, Carlos, I'm just going to watch him boil right now as I say <laughs> this is going to be fun. Like if, if, if words could, you know, I don't know cause thermodynamic reactions um (laughs) it's to me if you have a ucla coach who actually wants to do the things that are required of a head coach in on the college level which are recruit manage your roster and hire competent assistants who can put that talent in a position to succeed Any coach who coaches UCLA and wants to do those three things, I don't think that success in general is off the table for them. Um, And I define success—I define success as consistently winning in the eight to nine game range. I don't think it's asking for the moon and the stars for a major college football program based in the based in Los Angeles to win two thirds of its games against a dog shit conference every year. I'm sorry. It doesn't seem beyond the realm of possibility to for it, it, it doesn't seem beyond the possibility for that to be the case. Now, the problem that UCLA has had for really since 1998 has been that they haven't had a single head coach who has wanted to do all three things that are required of a head coach at a given time. You go back to the end of the Toledo years, he had just kind of checked out just due to his own arrogance. He just thought he was better than everybody else, and he let the program fester under him as a result, and he kind of lost complete control of the culture. You go on to Carl Durrell after that. He was so deathly afraid of, of uh, Pete Carroll's shadow that he wouldn't recruit anyone that USC even sniffed around. And at that point, he put himself on purpose in a t- at a talent deficit and... On top of that, tried to install a way too complex West Coast offense scheme that his players just were not, the the level of talent he had was just not equipped to handle. So you had a guy who actively sabotaged two two of those three legs of that trident. You go on to Rick Neuheisel, who he enjoyed recruiting because he got to chat with kids and come off as the cool guy on the phone. And then he would go to Bel Air Country Club for the next eight hours of his day. And literally just, he didn't try to be a college football head coach. And then you had the first couple of years of Jim Mora where he was, he was actually motivated to show the world that he wasn't a bad football coach the way he had flamed out in Seattle and Atlanta before that um, in, the, uh, in the NFL. He actually had a desire to show up to work, to bring talent in. He hired two good coordinators, not amazing, not mind-blowing, but just good in Noel Mazzoni on the offensive side and Lou Spanos on the defensive side. They brought in elite talent, multiple top 10 classes, one top five class. And as a result, UCLA had its best three year run since the late nineties. Somebody who just literally tried to do the job the way it's expected of them had a good run. Like it's not, it didn't, it wasn't rocket science. It's just the guy showed up and did the work. And then he, for reasons that we're not going to get, we don't need to get into right now. Cause I just don't feel like being hit with a defamatory lawsuit right now. Um, Quit on the job, essentially. He checked out on it and thought it was beneath him. And so at that point, you had a guy who actively withdrew from doing the job expected of a college football coach. And a college football head coach, recruiting, managing the roster, and hiring competent assistants. He was doing none of those things at that point. And then finally you get to Chip Kelly, who is not a college football head coach. He's a glorified offensive coordinator with a head coach title because it makes him feel nice and powerful. So Um, and he is actively not doing the things required of a college football head coach. He, he actively does not recruit. He does not hire competent assistants to, uh, or he doesn't hire competent assistants on the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. He takes care of it. and It's fine. Um, and then the culture management, like, okay, fine. He has a roster of good citizens. That's great. And I encourage that. Like, cool. We have a lot of really solid people on our team. But at the end of the day, if you are missing that high-level talent in a city that does nothing but produce high-level talent, you are trying to sabotage yourself. And so a very long-winded answer, but my answer is yes. I believe UCLA, if they are recruiting top 20 classes, which is not hard to ask for in Los Angeles, and they go out of their way to purposely hire coaches who care about doing what is required of a college football head coach. They should win eight to nine wins, eight to nine games in a given season, close to every year. And at some point, I feel like you fluke your way into a Rose Bowl one, uh, once a decade. At that point, you know what I mean. So that's my long winded way of saying they should make a Rose Bowl once every ten years just by sheer luck if they happen to do a couple of things by the book the way that any competent college football program otherwise does.
1: I yeah. like that answer, uh, Carlos. You're up. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing about the coaching argument. This is is this not eighty to ninety percent of college football coaches across the country? Like, do do they all not flame out? Like, I th- this is the thing with this is the thing and I and I totally I totally get what you're saying and I and I don't disagree, but like maybe it's actually very hard to find a guy who's willing to do all three of those things and is like medium competent at it, right? Like, who who out there that's like doing a good job how many of those guys are there there's not very many like what i i would love to someone surely has some data on the average uh lifetime lifetime the average lifespan of a college football coaching career probably in in major college football like four to six years maybe um like i this is so i just I'm of the I'm, I've gotten to the point now where <laughs> I'm so jaded and annoyed by this program and what it's been my entire time watching this team. What it's been for literally double the amount of time, maybe even triple. Really, really their woes don't go back to 1998. Their woes go back to 1989, where they were have largely been mediocre. Have gone to two Rose Bowls since that time. Um, had only one, two, three, four, ten win seasons. Five, I guess, with the Carl Durrell one. Um, over 40 years is insane to me. Um, I'm kind of at the point where just like, I have seen, uh, the basement. I've seen UCLA's basement. I've seen their floor. Um, and it's depressing watching chip Kelly during those first two years where they went three and nine and four and eight in and 2018, and 2019, wildly depressing. And I will do anything, anything to avoid having to deal with watching that team ever again. Uh, to the point where I'm just sort of like, yeah, get, like I'm. I, I don't. I don't think that UCLA sh- fans should expect to win a Rolls Bowl every ten years. It's funny because Cal fans literally say the same thing. If you ask Cal fans what their problem is, they say, "Well, we should be a Rolls Bowl contender. We should get a Rolls Bowl every ten years. There's no reason why we can't do it." Um, and we have all of the advantages here structurally. They say the same thing, and I well, think the difference you- is that they're wrong. Exactly, but (laughs) think about the what structural advantages does Utah have? Utah has literally gone. Utah has Kyle Whittingham.
2: That's exactly it. Utah has (laughs) a college football head coach who actually wants to be a college football head coach and all that it entails. That's the entire difference. Because if if you look at even. Chip Kelly's worst recruiting classes are on the level of what Utah is generally bringing in on a year to year basis. But Utah has to do that because of where Utah is. Now the state of Utah is emerging in terms of football talent. There's no doubt about that, but they don't have literally the pipelines that the, that the city of Los Angeles has in Southern California in general. The difference between UCLA and Cal Carlos, there's two differences. The first is UCLA actually does have, despite its efforts to self-sabotage over the last two decades, a decent tradition in football they are an ap top 25 team of all time And i know you're gonna talk about army and yale and all this bullshit you've said it to me before um (laughs) but but those are not relevant to the modern game because you're not talking about recruiting back then the way that it exists now and you're not talking about the money that goes in college football ucla despite the fact that now we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about them being cheap about various things UCLA, because they saw under uh, those first couple of years of Jim Mora, what success in college football can do for them, they kind of got high on that success. The donor base actually started showing up. They started paying for stuff. They had Chip Kelly on a top 10 national salary for a very long time until college football just went haywire the last two seasons, Um, or top 10 um, publicly available salary anyway. Um, they built the Wasserman Center. They gave him the most expensive training table in the country. They've given him unrestricted private jet access. He had—he doesn't have Alabama resources, but he sure as hell has enough resources to go better than 18 and 25 over a four-year stretch. He, he has he chosen abs- not to take advantage of them.
1: So uh, so abs- I, I agree with all of that. Jim Mora and the Jim Mora era absolutely did – energize the UCLA fan base and its donor base and all of that stuff. I I completely get it. And uh, I think think that's actually why I don't think I'll ever expect UCLA to do well. Because (laughs) UCLA, which is like wildly allergic to giving institutional commitment to its football program, has been for 20 years, maybe longer than that since the end of the Terry Donahue, since like the end of the Terry Donahue years maybe uh allergic to giving any sort of serious institutional commitment to football very tentative very cheap they just went all in on chip kelly for four years now going into year five and they got nothing what they got was massive debt and the debt whatever like maybe not nothing to be too concerned about but it's it's just it's the it's the we spent all we finally finally committed to football finally committed all of these resources and what did it give us nothing that that is going to I don't know like UCLA is a is such a weird and like uh I don't know they're not they're like a very conservative not like politically but conservative in terms of the money and the commitment that they make to athletics that that may scare them off forever I'm in fact I'm I think I'm convinced that it will scare them off forever I think giving Chip Kelly no raise not firing him after a uh after not not owing him a buyout and then asking him to hire a defensive coordinator that was half the salary of his old defensive coordinator that was just fired for being very bad all of those things to me uh, very fucking concerning like that's that's like another 20 years of bad ucla football because of this moment where they gave a ton of money and got absolutely nothing back and nothing
2: me, that's the wrong takeaway making a commitment having it blow up in your face because you got the wrong person is not indictment on the process itself and if their takeaway is we screwed up the process they are wrong they did the, they did things the way that things need to be done You just need to find a guy who doesn't actively disdain doing his job on a day-to-day basis. I don't think that that's a hard thing to Now, That's where I'm saying that the Chip Kelly era has lowered my expectations. I will literally take like, for example, Oregon hiring Dan Lanning for Oregon. I think that's a bad hire because the guy is a glorified recruiter, but for UCLA with the schedule that they have this season, just the, the patty cake schedule that they have, um, they will sleepwalk to nine and three just by sheer lack of competition. Um, Greg, I don't know if you've lo- have you looked at UCLA's schedule for this upcoming season. Has Carlos brought this up to you?
0: I have not. Okay. spent. A- I know we've talked about it, and I remember thinking, "Wow, this is like it's a friendly it's a, for UCLA," yeah. oh, but I don't remember friendly. the exact teams. It's
2: a fucking pillow fight. No, it's <laughs> ridiculous. No, like you start out the season with Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama. You're at 3-0 right there. Like if, you, if Chip Kelly loses any one of those games, he should be fired on the spot. I don't give a shit what his buyout is. Um, and then beyond that, you have the Pac-12 at its absolute lowest of lows. Oregon with a major talent drain and hiring a new coaching staff that might be Cristobal Light. They just, it's just a bunch of uh, recruiting bros who have no real tactical chops whatsoever. USC in their infancy under Lincoln Riley, there's no way he's rebuilt. If he rebuilds that offensive line in his first year, he's a goddamn magician. Um, And Utah, who should be a playoff contender. And that's really about it on their schedule. ASU, tire fire. Arizona, reloading and probably will overtake UCLA, and it's going to make me want to pluck my (laughs) eyeballs out that Jed Fish is actually doing things right. And... (laughs) And it just he was good A2. at UCLA, by the way. Me
1: too. He was good at UCLA. I mean, all all the fine. people who were like, you know, all the people who were like, we should have hired Jed Fish over they're Chip wrong. Kelly. They were right. No, they they're were wrong.
2: right. No, they're, they're, I will. Def, <laughs> here's the thing. No. I will defend the Chip Kelly hiring until the day I die because you have to hire yeah, yeah, a guy yeah. based on his credentials. Yes. The fact that he actively disdains everything about the job that he's doing is on him for putting it out there in the first place, and it's mm-hmm. on UCLA for not immediately realizing it and remedying it. It's on them.
1: But, all right, but hindsight. But, okay, Greg, go I'm ahead. Gonna, and go, I'm going to close
0: this right now. Here's my takeaways from both, what both of y'all said. Hannah. Yes. Your your take is basically process was good with the Chelly, the chip Kelly hire, right? Yep. It was just bad luck. They didn't work basically. And, and do it again. If they had hit on that, they get the Rose bowl for this decade, you know? Yep. I think that's fair. Uh, and Carlos, your takeaway is that uh, us UCLA is doomed to bad coaching hires
1: forever because probably, probably for at least two decades just because just, they have
0: seen what happens when they miss and yeah. miss big and they don't want that to happen again yeah and so they're not gonna they're not gonna commit big again which is gonna hurt them but
2: that's i agree what, way more with hannah yeah. because
0: i think they don't even have to commit that big on a coach and they could get lucky and make a rose bowl like they have enough advantages that if they get a good coach just by sheer luck, which happens, you know, people fall people fall in... Jed Fish at Arizona. Arizona fell into that. Like, Davos, Swinian, nobody Clemson. thought that was going to be good. And it's looking like it's going to be good. You know, like, if UCLA has a hire like that, which they totally could, they could absolutely make a Rose Bowl. And so I do think it is reasonable for UCLA fans to expect them to make a Rose Bowl once every 10 years. If they're not doing that, it's because people are fucking up like they have the resources
2: to do it the problem with you it's exactly what Greg just said the problem UCLA has is that it has people with who lack clarity about what their goal is and they lack the commitment to do what they need to do people change over time there's turnover in the people making decisions the institution if it was incapable of change fine but when you when your problem is the people rather than the process people change The people are put into the right place. If you bring the right person in, everything changes at that point. So like the example I was using of Dan Lanning, if UCLA hired just a pure recruiting bro who had no tactical chops whatsoever and just built with their schedule this season, that guy would still go eight and four or seven and five. Let's say minimum seven and five. That coach, that Dan Lanning type, would still bring in a top 10 national recruiting class. And at that point you have something to build on Chip Kelly going nine and three this season is going to be empty calories because he's not going to build on it in the slightest. He has 32 open scholarships next season and has only made 30 offers. And we're in freaking March. That's like you lit. That is self-sabotage. You lit. You have to. Yeah. If UCLA had anybody who actually cared about building a roster, you could build a foundation for something more. And right now, UCLA doesn't. And besides three years of Jim Mora, they really didn't have it at all. So all right. they need to hire somebody who cares. That's really what it comes down to.
0: Who won that I round, Greg? Hannah wins round one <laughs> definitively. Uh,
2: definitively? Wow. <laughs> I thought
0: his take was way better. <laughs> oh, Yours great. was just Thanks, like sad, beaten down Bruin fan. His, his made sense. All Shouldn't right. have made you the judge you shouldn't have. I'm going to pick against you every time. All right, uh second prompt. If USC is thriving, UCLA
1: can't be great. Uh I'll start us off on this one. Uh I'm going to say I'm going to say that's true. Uh I like we, look, UCLA's main structural advantage is that they have talent. Um and that talent is in their backyard. They're in Los Angeles. They're proximal to all this talent. I get it. People will say there's enough talent in L.A. to go around. But we're, what, I don't know, Hannah, 15 years removed from the Reggie Bush era? How many How many fucking 16-year-old, 17-year-old kids are still saying shit like, Reggie Bush was my favorite college football player? How many fucking kids are saying that? There's a lot for for guys who are like
2: six months old, max. When I was like, glint when- in my father's eye. <laughs> Reggie yeah. Bush captivated me. Like no, insane, it's, it's, insane. It's, it's, Greg, it's a real thing, and I, I want to push I wall. I've seen it. I've seen it. I believe you.
1: <laughs> so I like if USC is is doing well, uh, if Lincoln Riley actually gets this working, I'm of the opinion that he he's gonna get he's gonna be a nine ten win, uh, a nine and ten win coach next season. Um, and after that, it's just sort of like ten wins until he gets enough to build up a roster that has elite talent, and then and then and then it's like the death machine has been fully death uh, the death, death star has been fully operational. Death machine, <laughs> also a death machine. Um, I UCLA is going to have a hard time recovering from that, uh, and especially if they mess up if and they probably will if they mess up the next hire in two years. <laughs> uh, like that's. UCLA screwed I like I'm I am of the opinion that like (laughs) this is gonna sound wild I fucking hate Chip Kelly I can't stand him and like maybe he ought to be recruiting like this because I don't think that there's gonna be enough talent the way that there was between USC Oregon is now like going to be a recruiting power for a while UCLA does not is not willing to invest that much in football given what we've just seen um yeah I mean USC I think is going to depress a lot of the league and I think UCLA is going to be the the hardest hit by it.
2: I agree completely with Carlos um on the B team wow. podcast um when linking Riley was hired if you're if your listeners want to oh, go find that. it um literally it was me and my co-host Nathan saying the f word for 40 minutes straight. It, <laughs> um it was I called it, and I received a lot of flack for this, especially on Bruin Report Online, where people said that uh, uh, they're calling me Chicken Little and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I called it an, an extinction-level event for UCLA. We barely survived to the end of the Pete Carroll era. And I, I'm, quite frankly, I don't know how we didn't demote ourselves to D3 at some point during all that. I will not, and I, I, I've said this online, and I, I mean it. If USC gets rolling like that again, I will quit college football. I, 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 just, I, I, I will not live through that again. I, I refuse. I, I, I'm in my mid-30s at this point. I've seen this movie once. I don't need to experience it again. I have too many good things to look forward to in my life. I don't need this shit. So, um, th- To answer your question, though, Greg, I think uh, your question was UCLA cannot be great at the same time as USC. I fully agree with that. I, don't, I think UCLA can be good, like Sun Bowl, Alamo Bowl, good. I don't think they can be great at the same time as USC. A great USC is by definition a create. It creates a hard ceiling for UCLA.
0: All right, um, I, I wow. agree with you for the most part. However, because I didn't expect you two to agree, I didn't either. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree a little bit. Just play devil's advocate, I guess. Go ahead. Uh, I think the argument here is: I think USC it just depends on what your definition of great is. Cause I don't think UCLA is going to win the PAC 12 while USC is great. Like just full stop. It's not going to happen. However, you UCLA could make Rose Bowls with, uh, USC being great. However, I don't think they can luck into it at that point. Like where they are, like over the last decade, if they had just not been the level of incompetent that they were, they could have lucked into a Rose Bowl. Yep. A bunch of teams did, uh, Whereas with USC at the level that we all expect them to be at, I don't think it's possible to happen. You got to be a lot better. Um, However, everyone says that Dave Aranda would take the UCLA job if offered. And so if UCLA managed to hire Dave Aranda, I think they could be a great football team while also being the second best team in LA. It just requires them to be smart which is a big ask for UCLA. (laughs) Um, I have a
2: little bit of a hot take on Dave Aranda.
0: Oh, I want to hear
2: it. I think he's a very good college football head coach. I think there's a little bit of Chip Kelly in him in terms of not wanting to kind of grind on the recruiting trail. That's what I've heard. And I don't think that that is what UCLA needs at this moment. He is an elite defensive mind. And the one big advantage you would gain from having Dave Aranda is that you would have somebody who tactically owns lincoln riley in a head-to-head matchup and somebody who has proven in the modern college game that he can make lemons uh lemonade out of lemons as far as middling talent and take it to a level that is way above middling and i think that there is something seriously uh, like he is a phenomenal head coach but for ucla to reach its ceiling and i, I feel like if you are an AD with vision, you're not trying to hire somebody who's going to stabilize you to the 7-8 to eight win level. You're trying to find somebody who's going to be consistently in the running for the division. If you are projecting that USC is going to be great under Lincoln Riley, you have to have somebody who, can, who is not going to shy away from going head-to-head with USC and Oregon for, in local recruiting battles. And I do get the sense that Dave Aranda would be a little bit like Carl Durrell and Chip Kelly in that regard, he would just completely avoid those battles, go for, and and kind of put himself at a willing disadvantage, thinking that his tactical mind would overcome it. But we've seen that the best college football teams are the ones where you combine the recruiting prowess with that tactical knowledge. So, um, Aranda would be a very good hire. I don't think that UCLA could win a Rose Bowl with him. That's, that's the way I'll put it. There's just going to be too much variance there with the level of talent that he would bring that they would be susceptible to upsets. And when you're playing a more conservative style and you're not blowing teams off the field, it, it, the way Oklahoma in their best days under Lincoln Riley with Kyler Murray and uh, uh, Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts, they'd be winning those games 50 to 17 or whatever. If UCLA is playing more 24 to 14 kind of battles you leave yourself open to variance in a way that you don't when you have an elite offense that can just run a team off the field or if we're going to use another example a certain charles kelly in a certain other phase <laughs> of his life before he decided to <laughs> ruin mine for some reason
0: all right it's, it's all very fair i guess i can't really declare a winner to tie uh, it i guess because you you agreed and you both made sense so uh final prompt carlos can tie here uh The prompt is, UCLA is a better job than Oregon.
2: Hannah, you're first. Absolutely. Okay. UCLA (laughs) is absolutely a better (laughs) job than Oregon. Because to me, the quality of a job is not about the current state of the job. It's about if you hire, this is how I always assess a job. And this is why uh, Carlos might remember this when Chris Beard was at Texas tech and I said that UCLA was a better basketball job than Texas tech and their Texas tech fans went at me and they're just like, look at what Texas yeah, Tech is not... doing right now. Like that's <laughs> yeah, stupid. Take. Yeah. You're in the middle of Lubbock, Texas. You don't have a program. You have a coach and there's a difference between the two. Um, a program is something where if you, re- it's like UCLA basketball and how every coach that UCLA basketball has hired really since wooden has had their best success in their careers at UCLA because it is a job that takes average coaches and makes them good and good coaches and makes them great because of what they have access to locally. Oregon, so UCLA football, if you took a replacement level head coach and somebody who was willing to do a, who was willing to do a pass, make a passable effort at recruiting, at roster management and at hiring assistants and you put them in the UCLA job, I believe that that is a coach who can win eight games regularly. Oregon has shown that when they don't have a elite roster builder like a Mike Belotti or a sharp tactical mind like a Chip Kelly, or let's say Mario Cristobal, for example. I, I, I don't love him as a tactician and anybody hired us an assistant, but damn, the man could recruit. If you don't have somebody who is, an exception, who is exceptional uh, and way above the level of replacement level, Oregon has not necessarily, I know they've sustained it over the last 20 years, but they have had the opposite of UCLA where they have actually hired coaches who brought certain things to the table in a given moment where they, they were, that was the right person for that moment with the exception of Willie Taggart, really. But, um, but let's take Willie Taggart, for example, and Mark Helfrich, when they lost their edge, Oregon fell off a cliff. They, the just natural advantages of the job could not buoy them because there are no natural advantages to the Oregon job outside of one. And that's Phil Knight's money. UCLA, because of its location, will always have a baseline that cannot be sunk under if you are replacement level. And the problem that UCLA has had is the opposite of Oregon. It has consistently hired below replacement level because it has had active ignorance on behalf of the people who are in charge of making the decisions at UCLA. If you took Phil Knight and you put him at UCLA, UCLA would be competing for national championships. If you take Phil Knight and you put him at Oregon, they competed for a national championship, but they They are in two. They were in, yeah, they were in two, but that took a guy who literally revolutionized the sport to get there. Otherwise, they've been a decently consistent Rose Bowl contender in a downtime for the Pac-12, but the bottom can fall out when you kind of, when any, when I guess that edge is lost. And so I think UCLA has an ability to buoy at a replacement level coach in a way that Oregon doesn't, but for one kind of safety net guy. And when that guy go, I'm, I'm, I'm not wishing for you know, anything morbid or anything like that, but when that guy goes away, what is Oregon? It, it's like Oklahoma state. Once Mike Gundy goes away, Boone Pickens, is, Pickens passed away. What is Oklahoma State at that point? They're, we don't know. They have a really good college football head coach right now, but we've seen that when they don't have a really good college football head coach like Les Miles or Mike Gundy, in the 80s and 90s, that was a team that was winning one to two games a season. So the bottom can fall out when you don't have natural advantages to boo you. That's why I believe that UCLA is a higher replacement level job than Oregon is. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so Carlos.
1: Okay. so here's the thing, institutional commitment has to be considered a structural advantage. I think I'm at that point where like if we're not talking about the commitment from the university to the sport, uh that we need to talk about that as a natural structural advantage and Oregon has that 10 times over UCLA. Like it's not it's not close what like who is more committed program. Mario Cristobal, I would argue not an, not an above average level replacement coach. I think he's an average he's thoroughly an average coach i but think he's, he tries he tries he tries, he tries really all hard at recruiting
2: once, and That in this pac 12 that's all it took
1: jim moore tried for like five years it went three his, years his level of effort tried his level of effort was a little beyond three years i think
2: No, i think he uh, just trust I, I, me on this it was three years just okay all right, fine. <laughs> all right all right all right <laughs> i will say just take it to the bank trust me on this um,
1: but three years. But,
2: let's, let's stipulate three years. Go ahead.
1: Okay, three, three years, and uh, did not – again, that was a tough Pac-12. I am of the opinion that maybe one of those UCLA teams gets into a Rose Bowl, maybe backs its way in if they didn't have to deal with David Shaw. Um, but, like, outside like outside of those three years, uh, what UCLA has done has been bad. They have not been anything Approaching competent outside those three years right because it's they haven't
2: like, tried and there's a difference there that's what i'm yeah, saying
1: well but you say but like trying has to be considered a structural advantage because ucla doesn't try and oregon does try not just the coach um it's it's the administration, it's the athletics department, it's the it's the university president. And yeah, they do have uh, Phil Knight, and certainly that is a huge... But that's a structural advantage also. I assume that Phil Knight, when he dies, he has a trust fund that will go specifically to Oregon football and might take care of them for a little bit longer than when he passes. Uh, beyond that, maybe... And, and, and Oregon has built a national brand over the past, what, 20, 30 years that I think is pretty stable at this point, Oregon gets talked about. They're not a blue blood, but they get talked about kind of in that range. When I remember Ohio state fans lamenting, having to play Utah. And they say, why couldn't we get any, anyone, anyone cool like Oklahoma or, you know, uh, uh, who else is good this year? I can't even remember. Um, I didn't even remember who was good
2: back college. Nobody football was this, good but. this year in college football. It was literally Georgia and a little bit of Alabama and nobody else was good. That's what Yeah, puts. why
1: couldn't why couldn't we get Oklahoma or Oregon? And they threw Oregon in that mix, right? Of top-tier college they wanted football brands because of what happened
2: in Columbus. They want
1: they wanted brands because Oregon is a brand. They they just are and UCLA is not. I, I think if you like polled the average college football fan about what UCLA is, it's like it's it's a joke. Um and like brands don't change results can change overnight. Um, brands don't change. Tradition doesn't change. Perception doesn't change. And commitment doesn't change. Um, that's not changing in t- one, two, three, four, five years. Um, yeah, I think I think Oregon is the better job. Mario Cristobal is an average coach who tried at recruiting and one what, two He ro- Did he go to two Rose Bowls? One went, Rose Bowl lost, lost the, the
0: Fiesta Bowl, I think.
1: He lost two Rose bo- It would have been uh, a Rose Bowl, but the playoff... Yeah yeah, yeah 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 uh they whatever mario chris won a rose bowl um, um he won it in 2019 did he win
2: it or did wisconsin lose it let's talk about no i'm not gonna have that conversation but, no wisconsin <laughs> lost that game that was a they, horseshoe they, game but regardless it was a I terrible take
1: game i think terrible point. but they were there um you know and it's like what happened when they dealt with one year of four and eight mark Helfrich, they fired him um jim mora had a four and eight season and got another season chip kelly had a three and nine and a four and eight season and a three and four season had one eight four in season and they extended him two years this is the kind of like that sort of commitment uh and and the and like prowess to be able to navigate and gauge how good your coach is and deciding whether or not to fire them and if you have the if you think you have the money to fire them or not that shit is that's a structural advantage um like that that matters a lot I think Oregon's pockets are deeper. I think their brand is better. I think that they've had better success across multiple coaches. Willie Taggart was a down year, and they went 7-6. and six. Uh, Mario Cristobal, an average coach, and they went to two Rolls Bowls. Chip Kelly, what? I'm starting to wonder. Maybe this is a crazy take. What has Chip Kelly done outside of, outside of his four-year
2: tenure at Oregon? He won one NFC East, if I remember correctly, yeah, for the Eagles' yeah. first year, and that was it. But no, but Carlos, I'm I'm going to flip it for you a little bit. I agree with you that investment on behalf of an administration is a structural advantage. Oregon does care more about football than UCLA. Murphy Hall at UCLA actively disdains athletics, and we all know this. So yeah. I, I agree with you on that part. But let's also look at the choices that have been made, and, and this goes back to the people. But I absolutely, and I think it supports your point a little bit. In all honesty, but. If you look at what Oregon has done, they had Rich Brooks in what, the mid-90s. They hired Bilotti after him, an up-and-coming uh, an up guy who was on Brooks' staff. Uh, Bilotti replaced by Chip Kelly, the elite mastermind who was kind of the rocket fuel to take Oregon from a good program to a great program at that time. And, then, and so they have consistently been hiring, not at the cutting edge, but at the very least tenacious, hungry people who want to succeed in college football. UCLA Every single hire that UCLA has made since Bob Toledo in 2000 has been somebody they have hired directly from the NFL who didn't want to do the job that it takes in college football. Carl Durrell hired from the Broncos when he was their wide receivers coach. Rick Neuheisel hired from... Now, obviously had college experience, but he was on the Baltimore Ravens staff as their quarterback's coach. Uh, Jim Mora hired directly from the NFL after the Seahawks fired him. Chip Kelly hired directly from the NFL. They keep hiring people who have experienced what the NFL is like, and as a result, don't want to do the effort that it takes to succeed in college football because a college coaching job and an NFL coaching job are wildly different. And they, there have been people who have actively ignored these things at UCLA because they're fucking morons. And so <laughs> UCLA, you literally need somebody who literally looks at the college landscape and says, let's try hiring a college football coach and see how that goes. I want to see that experiment, not because I know how it's going to go, but just because, hey, let's try different, something different other than guy who's sick of the college game but is coming back to get a paycheck. Let's just try that for the first time in 20 goddamn years and see how that goes. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> anyway. So uh, compelling points were made. However, I am going to give this one to Carlos. All right. I agree with him. I think Oregon's the better job if I were a coach. I would much rather be a coach at Oregon right now. I think they've built themselves up, like Carlos said, into a brand that being in Eugene does not hurt them because they they clear, they've proven they can recruit despite that. You know, like uh, they recruited. But, but they to they Hannah's
2: recruiting point, coordinators—they hired Dan Lanning, who's not yeah. a coordinator. He Chip was Chip Kelly a,
0: recruited well enough to go to a national championship, and Mark Helfrich went to a national championship.
2: Um, Chip Kelly recruited on the back of Mike Bellotti, and. Mark and still wasn't a great recruit. I mean, the no, good decisions
0: they've made have set yeah. them up better for success than UCLA. UCLA requires a rebuild in a way that Oregon doesn't. choice.
1: Yeah, that's true. No, yes. and, and, the bad
0: choices they've made yeah, have put oh, them I in totally, a spot oh, oh, put I completely them below agree. With,
2: Oregon. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But I'm talking about if all, th- not all things were equal, but what program props up a coach more if you don't have people actively sabotaging? And to me, that would be UCLA, but I guess we kind of—I I, to your point, Greg—we kind of have to see it because we haven't seen a UCLA that isn't actively screwing itself over for God knows how long. So, or UCLA football yeah. anyway. So, anyway. To
1: to to Hannah's point, uh, getting a, get let's see them hire a young guy for like two you know, million dollars. You know who a a football year. coach a college football coach is? Dave Aranda. <laughs>
2: he is a. Good. <laughs> he is. Oh, and that, that would be. I'm not saying give that me, would be a, just give me give me a recruiter. Person. Yeah.
1: Give me a recruiter. I, would I just have want a guy to,
2: who. I would have taken I, Dan Lanning at UCLA. I don't know oh yeah. why Oregon I would absolutely him have taken him at UCLA if I was. I don't know why though. Oregon wanted him. Oregon, based on what they had supposedly built as a brand, I thought they'd be able to swing for. I thought they could get Naranda or somebody like that. I don't actually know why they went for Dan Lanning. That was a little bit weird to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, he's going to recruit like the rock star there,
2: but. Do, he, has he hired anybody worth the damn who we think has a tactical mind on his staff? Absolutely not.
1: No, no, you. they're all, they're all bad coaches. If we're being honest, uh, <laughs> no, anyway,
2: he, he, he recruited a fraternity. Uh, yeah, or he he hired really a fraternity. Did.
1: He, really, he really did. He really did. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It looks like we tied. So I don't know if there's a a winner here. Greg, do you just want to pick our winner? Are you going to pick Hannah? Cause you just hate me.
0: That's a compelling point, Carlos. Thank you. I'm gonna pick <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> I also uh, I liked his take. Uh, I thought he beat you by more on the first point than you beat him. Uh, in the we're second, doing margins
2: in the of victory. I was gonna wow. say, like Ken Palm has shown us, margins of victory. His style matter, points Carlos. were better, so uh, <laughs> Hannah
1: wins. All right. Well, Hannah wins. That's fine. My um, take L's all the time. Anyway, thank you again. You can follow Michael Hannah at Michael M Hanna. Uh, on Twitter and follow the UCLA B Team podcast. I absolutely love that podcast. Completely recommend at UCLA B Team. Uh, Hannah, anything else you want to say before we send you out here?
2: Um, fire Chip Kelly, and it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Like I, I, I love coming on. I can't wait to talk to you guys again in the near future.
1: Sounds great. All right, that'll do it for us. For Greg at Banana Morse, I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. Thank you for listening, and remember there are no truck stops here. Not
0: even one.